On Tuesday of this week, I had a very special guest on the program, Truth to Ponder. I had the Reverend Dr. Timothy Gales with me, and, and I had quite a, quite a response on a lot of what he had to say. And that's why I have him on the show again today for this very special weekend and Friday edition. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. There are a couple of reasons I wanted to bring Tim back today on this program. Today, on Friday the 11th, and of course for the entire weekend, many in the United States will be remembering a special event. And I'll be talking with Tim about that event a little later on in the program. But I want to continue with a conversation that Tim and I had. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is Truth to Ponder, which now has been combined with your weekend show, which has aired as a podcast and on international shortwave for for quite some time. And on the weekends, we are on several other additional radio stations in the United States. But I wanted to use this program today to kind of get back to a conversation that Tim and I started if you listened on Tuesday. If you missed the Tuesday edition, you can go to our website, Truth, the number two, ponder, like truth2ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. And you can click on prior episodes and you'll find that Tuesday edition. Tim is a remarkable individual. Besides being a clergyman, well-educated, He's a seeker of truth, and he is one of those kind of people you want to get to know. And I have a funny feeling you'll be hearing a lot about Tim on this program in the days and and in the weeks ahead. Tim and I were talking before the program about some of the things happening in the world today. And I noticed a story that came out about a young boy at home in his, you know, Zoom class, whatever they're using. And he happened to be like 12 years old. He's in the seventh grade. And he's sitting on his sofa at home. And he has a little toy Nerf gun. And he moves it from one side to the other. The teacher sees it, calls the principal. The principal calls the sheriff's office. The sheriff comes to the house. The kid gets suspended for five days. Now, I want you to think about one thing real quick. Teachers are, well, parents are being told they're not supposed to look in on what the teachers are teaching your child. But what gives the school a right to look into your home? That's my question. Tim, what comes to mind as I bring you to the program today, Doctor, the Reverend Dr. Timothy Gales? What do you think about what happened in that situation? Well, number one, I would think because of what you just said, this ought to bring up a big red flag to many parents. Um, school is supposed to be an open idea of learning and an interchange of ideas, right? Absolutely. And yet we're being told you shouldn't be allowed to listen to what we're teaching your child. But we certainly can survey things in your home if we can see them through mm-hmm. the, the Internet. And and so what it does is it allows you no recourse to be a check and balance with the school Mm -hmm. and it allows the school now to invade what we once believed was your castle absolutely and this this is something that i've seen with public schools not everywhere but it's it seems that particularly in blue states states run by people that would call themselves 
progressives, which is they're more like regressive, but they call themselves progressive. This idea that they own your child and they have every right to snoop inside of your home and you're not allowed to know what they're teaching your your child has become the new norm. What do we do about it? (laughs) Right. Well, again, there was a time. uh, When did this all begin? When did we have the school system become pretty much uh, basically we put it to a base line okay mm-hmm. all schooling across the country federalized it uh as i as i said it's 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 got a common curriculum a common core it's, mm-hmm. it's a common study for all kids in every state when that wasn't the case in the past if you right. think back to say little house on the prairie and you see the one room schoolhouse mm-hmm. right and the parents you, involved you, you got yeah, you got a vision of, you know, in that same schoolroom, you had uh, eighth graders and you had first graders. And the teacher would teach the the young ones, the little kids first, and then she would go and teach the older ones. Now, some of the older ones, when they were done with their studies, would go and help the younger ones. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all 13-year-olds or all 8-year-olds. Uh, there, was a, there was a mix there, and there's a reason for that. Where is our basic school when we grow up in life? It's home. That's right. And it's with your siblings, and it's with your parents, and you learn from them. So, you know, the little kids, who did you want to emulate when you were a little kid? The older kids. Absolutely. You wanted to be like them. So this was very important, both for socialization as well as for education. Uh, And what we have ended up doing now is making it according to the Prussian system of education. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of negatives here, but it was all of it was based on, you know, behaviorism. And the Prussian system was based on a behaviorism. So what they did is this. They introduced bells, like Pavlov's dog. Mm -hmm. So now we have a school where kids hear a bell. You get up and you go to English class and the bell rings and you sit down. And then you hear another bell when it's over and you turn your English brain off and you go to math class and turn your math brain Mm -hmm. on. And so they effectively got us in a behavioristic mode to compartmentalize all of our teaching. Now, you would say, okay, this is in the the school system. And how is it coming into our home? And, And we'll get to that because this is the progression that history took. But in the school, we were taught to think compartmentally. So what I would typically do with a young person today, and and it kind of blows their mind, uh, we homeschool, so my mm. kids have been homeschooled. Right. So I would put on a piece of music. I would put on, say, a piece of music such as Mozart. And I'd ask them about the music and who's playing, and, and they would talk to me about it. And I'd say, you know, when Mozart was composing this, what else was happening in the world? What type of... What, what else was going on? And they would say, well, revolution. It was a time of revolution in mm-hmm. America and France. And I'd say, right, right. So I'd point to a picture on my wall in my living room of Washington crossing the Delaware. And I'd say, you know, well, that was happening. This 
was being composed, what was being written? And they would say, um, Thomas Paine's Common Sense. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, right. So what I'm doing is I'm taking the history, I'm taking the the music, right? I'm taking the, the, the writings and the art, and I'm combining it all together so they're getting the full picture. Mm -hmm. It's not compartmentalized. Imagine these subjects as pearls. What I'm doing is I'm taking the the music pearl and the and the uh, English literature pearl and the art pearl and I'm stringing them all together rather than keeping them separate and adding history to it as well because you're putting everything into a context where you exactly. can exactly and you're right we, we and a lot of this started from what some of the progressive education ideas came what from Dewey if I'm not mistaken. And yep. Har yep, Horace Mann also. Then we got to the 1970s. We had the Federal Department of Education. It used to be the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, but it got split up. And all of a sudden, at the federal level, a lot more influence started creeping into our schools each and every you know four or five years. I, I'm probably one of the last classes to come out of high school that wasn't so uh, federalized, for lack of a better word. Very little, I mean, look, 50 years ago, there was not a whole lot of the federal government involved in a local public school, whether it be in Ohio, whether it be in New York, whether it be in South Carolina. It was, a lot of it was left to your school boards and your parent teachers association, and it was a different a different world yeah the bells were there and everything else but i don't think we were quite as indoctrinated yet because that was mild but you're right systematically over the years we have mm -hmm. a change in education a change in how we look at it and now today in many areas you have education in competition with the parents they're using the hillary clinton model it takes a village to raise a child not a family right and they, they, they exactly. want to take the family out of it. Exactly. And so you're right. The, the, the root of the system, as I said, was Prussian. Um, the schools were designed by Horace Mann and Bernard Sears uh -huh. and Harper of the University of Chicago. You also had Thorndike of Columbia Teachers College and some other guys who were instruments of what we called or what they called the scientific management of a Correct. mass population. Uh -huh. So essentially, you had schools that are intended to produce through the application of formula, formulaic human beings whose behavior can be predicted and controlled. And, and over the years, it just got progressively worse. So early on, parents wouldn't have put up with too much of it. No. Nevertheless, the ball was put into motion, right? And it's rolling uh, to where we are today. And, you know, school today, is like we said before, it's not meant to produce an Einstein. It's meant to produce a worker bee for the hive. Absolutely. And, and what we have found is that self-reliant, confident, individualistic thought has always been the water that has watered uh, inventions and, and, and ideas and, and brilliance, to be honest. You know, I think um, back so, to the 1980s. Uh, Oops. Um, sorry, sometimes we step on each other, so when people wonder what happens, there's that typical electronic 
like a half a second or so lag between the two of us and so it's it, it's right. easy to step on but I, i'm thinking back uh, what you're saying i want to just really highlight what you were just saying phyllis schlafly who ran eagle forum before she died uh, a while back i can remember her back in the 1980s with a little radio program called eagle forum warning about the direction of education and the national education association uh, that they want to go this basically school to work school to drone or school to indoctrinate to further and be indoctrinated at a higher level into the trades like politics and and law to really begin to make a change in our society there the one thing a lot of good folk don't understand those that want evil in our society are willing to wait even if it doesn't happen in their lifetime to accomplish the goal and that seems to be something that i'm going to just come out and say it is almost satanic by nature you know we'll get it eventually you will you will lose eventually like khrushchev said in the 50s we will take your country without firing a shot we will make you communist you'll be begging for it he may not be that far off the mark even though it's been about 60 years so education has been used by any despot to begin to get control of a generation they may not get it today they may not get it next week but you know something those that started back in the 70s they're getting it now eventually they've gotten their way so where do we go from here how do we how do we deal with with education well several ways number one we have to start making sure that education is uh individualistic uh that we see the children's um their skills Mm -hmm. their their dreams their desires what they're good at their gifts and we let them go with that let me let me give you something here you know einstein Einstein, um you know when we look at the people in in history who have actually made something of themselves many of them did it by themselves through interest and what i mean by that is you've got thomas edison the teacher told edison that he was never going to be bound to amount to anything told his mother he would never amount to anything that he was going to be pretty much stupid his whole life and uh-huh. at a very very young age he left school and was homeschooled And through that, he began messing around with different things and science that interested him. And guess what he gave us? Oh, a lot. The light bulb. Mm -hmm. And many other things. You know, you talk about education. And I am so thankful looking back in my life because you just triggered a memory that I haven't even thought about for, oh, decades. I was very blessed to go to a Lutheran school from kindergarten Mm -hmm. through the eighth grade and so there's a different approach in the way that they treat students yeah there's discipline all the stuff that goes with being german lutheran missouri senate it it just comes but there was a problem with me probably oh i don't know maybe the sixth seventh grade you know my grades were not that great all of a sudden and and most schools today would say oh he's just got adh or add or whatever drug him up and you know, we'll just we'll we'll push them through and make them a worker bee. That's pretty much what they would do to me today. Am I correct? Yep. They're just going to drug me. Correct. I'm, I'm going to be drugged out, zombied out. 
playing my video games and you know all I do is is sleep, play video games and work. Sleep, play video games and work. That's that's going to be my life. That's but right. but that school had a psychologist on staff who was also a pastor who also loved his lord and loved these kids. And so instead of being put aside like something wrong with me, the guy does an assessment and figured it out pretty quick. And I'm proud to say he discovered I had a very high IQ. And he goes, here's your problem. He's bored to tears. He needs more of a challenge in his life. And once I started getting into hobbies and then having teachers understand how to put into perspective why mathematics is going to help me with electronics or why this is going to help me in something else in life and pursue a hobby along with it, well, suddenly the grades started to improve and my life got a lot easier because they put things into perspective. This is the Christ-like way of raising children. My father reminds me of a sermon he once heard, and I, I've lived my life based on this in my family. The pastor said that if you see a talent in your child, it is criminal if you don't do your part to help that child achieve that talent. Maybe it's not Absolutely. the one to live with, but you know you need to play with it a little bit. You need to, instead of saying no, you can't do that. How do you know that's not what they're called to do? You can never live your well, life through your children. That's right. And ultimately, in, in the context of schooling that my kids were raised in, uh, and like the little room schoolhouse, right, that I mm-hmm. talked about, uh, you had time to discover. You know, knowledge learned. I can look and memorize a bunch of dates and facts and spit it back mm-hmm. out for an exam. Oh, yeah. That's... But everybody knows, you know, a day later, you don't remember any of those. No, it's just like knowledge rote. It's all rote. It, yes. Knowledge learned is is easily lost, but knowledge discovered, you own. I ran into you something. There's a system of education at a church that I was a pastor of in Florida. A small group came by wanting to lease part of our little educational wing uh, for a school. And they were using the Waldorf system, if you've ever heard of that particular kind of schooling. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of impressed, at least the way this particular school was run. They said the kids may seem a little behind early, but they excel later because they learn to love learning. And they learn how to learn. Until a child can learn on their own how to learn, how to absorb knowledge, sitting them on their fannies and stuffing it in their eyeballs and ears doesn't do any good. And so I'm watching these kids in like the two-year kindergarten program. Then they're suddenly in first and jumping to fifth grade stuff. The speed that they move after they've acquired the ability to learn is phenomenal. And by the time they're in the seventh grade, they're doing college-level work. It's well, amazing see, because they Bob, this want is what to. I have learned and what I have seen and what I have done. Um, when it comes down to it, is it is exactly that. Early on, they seem slower, like they're behind. But once they hit that age, you know, um, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, mm-hmm. they they excel. And and you can remember being assigned books to read. I know for me, okay. Anytime I was told I had to read a book, I you didn't hated want to it. do it. He didn't want to do it. it. And I could, I hated it. I didn't want to read it. But when I discovered reading, 
I mean, really reading. Mm-hmm. I loved it, and I devoured books because I was learning things. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see a kid has a, a penchant for science or for something like that, in at least in the homeschool, we can say, you know what? We'll put English and music and math and all that aside today. You just run with this, and mm-hmm. you just work on the science. Do eight-hour science if you want. And they do. And they learn and they discover. And that's why those who do this are considered self-learners very Absolutely. often. Fabulous self-learners. Mm-hmm. So we want to build that into somebody. We want them to be able to think. And the problem is we don't know how to think today. We, we know what to think because we're programmed to do that in the school. There is an idea. You know, we, we say it's neutral. Well, let me say this. Neutrality is a myth. Yep. There is no such thing as neutrality. Everything has an ideology and everybody's pushing one. And so you have to get children to think, teach them how to think. Classical education used the trivium, right? Grammar, logic, Mm -hmm. rhetoric. And why did they do that? They combined it with the growth of the person. Right. So, you know, when when a kid was really small, what do you teach them? You teach them grammar, you teach them structure, you teach them the basic building blocks. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they become around 10, 11 years old and they start to have that mathematical, logical brain function. Mm -hmm. So what do you teach them? You teach them logic. And, and then when they hit 13, 14, what do kids do all the time? They talk. They talk constantly. They don't stop talking. Mm-hmm. So what do you teach them? Rhetoric. If you're going to talk, let's learn how to do it well. And this was the background to the trivium, classical education. You capitalized on their gifts and their growth uh, early on in their life so that they could carry that through for the rest of their life. Absolutely. That is education, and what we're seeing now in the schools is not. It is not education. It's the lowest common denominator. You got it, because they teach to the middle person. So like you said before, the really, really smart kids become bored and guess what they're they're the ones doing drugs partying out there being rebellious and stuff for the most part why because they're bored to tears absolutely if they don't find an outlet trouble absolutely and so i guess i was fortunate to come through at the time that i did because i don't know where i would be today had i not had those opportunities I, 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 i worry about look there's something mm-hmm. that there's the Lord laid this upon my heart years ago, and I, I was saying it one time in in a sermon I was preaching about in you know raising your children the fear and admonition of the Lord. I said there's a distinct difference between how Christians educate and the world educates. The world wants to fill a child's head with all kinds of knowledge, but they cannot impart wisdom. There's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge without wisdom is just useless facts that you don't even know how to apply. Wisdom guides the use of the knowledge you have received. And that's what Christians can do. We impart biblical wisdom, which then guides our use of our knowledge. We live in an age... And that, that brings something up 
too, Bob, is that what you said before, there was a pastor who happened to help you out. Uh Um, A biblical worldview we did away with in the schools. So there is no, I mean, if you teach kids that you've come from animals, how are they going to act? Like an animal. Like animals. And if you you teach them who they are created in the image of God, the image and likeness of God, uh, you you know, you've got something to work with here because they realize they are unique Mm -hmm. and they are special in the right sense before God. And so they learn. When I went to seminary, I don't know if you know the name of Dr. Charles Ryrie. He, He was one of my teachers. And Ryrie had said this on opening day of school. We sat in the auditorium and he said, look to the person to the left of you. And everybody looked to the left and he Mm -hmm. said, that person won't be here to graduate. And he said, you remember the story of Jesus when they came to him and they tried to trap him, basically, um, and talk to him about paying taxes and and the coin. Mm -hmm. And... And Jesus said, well, well, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. And they said, Caesar's. And he said, well, then render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And then he looked at us, and he said, he gave you a brain. Render unto God that which is God. Which is you. And that impacted me entirely what we see now in modern education it's you know it's kind of absurd when you think about this that it's absurd and anti-life i believe to move from cell to cell at the sound of a gong for every day of your natural youth in an institution that allows you no privacy and even follows you into the sanctuary of your home demanding that you not only do its homework but now you they can see your home through the Zoom sessions or whatever else, and they're critiquing your home and the things in your home. And and, and so, well, you know that the incident, uh, the incident in Colorado Springs, I guarantee you that more of these stories are going to come out. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. And and you have like in Tennessee, the the letter went out to parents: Do not monitor your child's classroom. Stay out of what we're doing. I mean, you had to sign. Yeah. A, they demanded. They demanded a parent sign away that right. I mean, right. No. who do they think Red they are? Flag. I mean, what, when a school says you have to sign this and guarantee you're not going to monitor any of this, then I'm suspect. And I think any well, look, Christians are going to have to do something. You can't yes, leave your. Are. Well, look, we we started a problem in the '70s where. We wanted all these things that government is willing to give us. Go back to 1965, the Great Society under Lyndon Baines Johnson. And there's a lot we could say, and I'm not going to say all of it on on this show, but in essence, he was buying a voting block by giving money and freebies. And that was the beginning of tearing apart the family foundation It also started the process of women wanting to go to work and children being now changed into latchkey and daycare children. Instead, look, when I came up, when you came, I don't know what what it was like with you, but I came home. There was a mother at home. There was no empty house. I wasn't dropped off at a third party earlier in the morning 
to be taken to school. I mean, I was a part of a household in all my growing up years, all the way through high school. And well, by the night, it, it started to change. To what, yeah, it brings me exactly to what I wanted to say. There are literally, look, there are two institutions at present that control our children's lives. Video games and schooling, in that order. Mm-hmm. And both of these reduce the real world of wisdom, fortitude, temperance, and justice to this this never-ending, non-stopping abstraction. So, in centuries past, the the time of ch- of a child and adolescent would have been occupied with real work, mm-hmm. real charity, real adventures. Um, a realistic search for mentors and, and looking for people that we can we can look up to and learn from. So, because we don't have that, everything's become this this virtual, and that's part of the deception. What I would call the technological deception. We can get into sometime, mm-hmm. but it's and as I said last time, it's all connected, and so we are not dealing with real anymore. We're no, dealing we're with the we're virtual, not. which impacts everything that we learn that we feel that we do that we see touch taste and smell the entire human person that god created in his image and likeness which he said it's not good that they should be alone they are now alone in front of a screen and think that they're socializing right and they communicate with their thumbs by text they don't speak much to each other anymore it is done exactly. by text. It's done through a third-party application like WhatsApp, uh, like Instagram, like Facebook, and, and many others that are coming online. And parents, you don't even know what your kids are doing because you're too busy with your twin occupations and trying to get your McMansion, in many cases. And they want the children, but they, they want it all, so to speak. And we were all told we could have it all. But you know, when you try to have it all, you're going to give up something. we got to take a quick break. And when we come back, we might be changing gears. We might not. Just want to let you know that you're listening to Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. On the air and online at yourweekendshow.com with Bob Bierman. Is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to this edition of Truth to Ponder, which is also a part now of your weekend show, which is heard on a number of international shortwave stations, even around the world. I want to finish this little discussion for the moment with, with Timothy Gales, which is the Reverend Dr. Timothy Gales. Proud to have him on board. This is the second time there's been a, such a great response, and I'm Sure, you'll be hearing a lot from him in the days and weeks ahead. Education to me is a vital thing we need to provide to our young people, whether it's our children, our grandchildren, and even in some cases, our great-grandchildren. Public education in many places is becoming nothing but a satanic sewer. I'm just, there's no other way to put it. They believe they own your children, you don't. And as we've said, they want to they want to know what's going on inside of your home. 
there have been many schools that kids will say they ask a lot of questions about mom and dad. Uh, does dad have a gun in the house? And, and it's like, what business is it of these schools to be asking all these probing questions? And maybe it's time we do something. We need to take education back. And so, so Timothy, tell me what you think about what parents can do. And before we change topics here, I want to share something in just a moment. But what, what can parents do today uh, to begin to make a change? Well, you know, it takes a commitment, obviously, to to uh, educate children. But we've been so conditioned to believe that we have to send our kids just to the public school, or I call them the government schools. Mm-hmm. And we've been so conditioned that that's what just has to happen, and it's not. As a matter of fact, you can homeschool. There are other options as well. But homeschooling is a commitment, but churches and families can look towards helping each other. Um, We've attended with my kids co-ops, right? So there might be a a person in the church who is a scientist who teaches chemistry at a local college. And what he'll do is he'll come and he'll offer once or twice a week in the evening a co-op class on chemistry for homeschool kids of the appropriate age. And you might get, you know, 12, 20, 25 kids in there. So it's like school, uh, but it's not. You're still, it's a co-op and you're still learning. The foundation of all learning has to be God, right? Absolutely. All things have to be God. Um, Genesis 1-1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew, it's Bereshit bara Elohim HaShemayim Teharetz. God created the heavens and the earth. That is the key to everything. John, Genesis 1.1. And, and the Gospel of John also solidifies that because he parried it in the beginning. Um, so what we're seeing here is a foundation that has to be laid. The second thing is parents are not ill-equipped. You feel you are, but there's plenty of help out there, both online oh, yeah. and in homeschool groups throughout the nation. It has grown exponentially right Listen, now. a lot of these educate, what I call educrats, they're afraid of homeschoolers. I mean, they, they, they try to dismiss it. They try to sound like it's a terrible thing. I think because of the pandemic, some are now fearing it because the cat's getting out of the bag in some places. And some parents are beginning to wonder about, I read in an article today, that there's a prediction that maybe half of the colleges in the United States may go out of business in the next five or ten mm-hmm. years because the cat's out of the bag. The cat is out, and, it and, and some people are not. Look, some parents, frankly, don't care because they're part of the problem in the way they think right. and the way they act. They've they've bought into this progressive nonsense that is illogical, and they're using illogical thinking processes to believe money can be. You know, you can tax yourself into prosperity. It doesn't work that way. We've we've learned right. that there's no common sense in Common Core. I mean, it, there never was, never will be. And that's that, right. That, that, and, and you're even seeing here what I said before, even look, it's all tied together. Are the colleges going to go under? Yes. Many of them will. Would that be something that was purposely done? I would tend to think it may be. It and I can be. give evidence for that because they want a world curriculum. 
and they want a world curriculum that will be done through uh, an online type of system, not in classrooms anymore, because social distancing is never going to go away. Mm -hmm. And they do not want groups sitting together and commiserating and if talking to each other because yeah. and program you, then they've got the entire world thinking the way they do like a big supercomputer. Um, and, and this is, this is part of what I call slavery. I call it anti-life. It is anti-life. It is. Because you and I both know that's not education. It's not even life. It's something, something synthetic that they want to create. And the ones doing this, okay, they don't care about life. They don't care about your life or my life. No. They care about their own and their power and control. And that's why we're seeing all that we're seeing today. It's it's very sad, but there are places that people can reach out to. You're 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 always told that you're not able to teach your own kids. You don't have a teacher certificate or license. Yeah, Listen to right. Me. That's all bunk. You can do it. You know, I've seen people can help you. Look, you know, and I know. Come out not only fine, but they're going to come out independent thinkers, and they're going to know what they can do and what they can't do. I, I've had to do it with, with grand. I did it with two of my grandkids that had issues or exactly. problems at home. And, and I said, look, I'm going to get you out of the state you're living in and we're going to kind of start over. And it came down to homeschooling them and getting them, you know, finishing high school. They learned more in a matter of a few months than they had learned in a few yeah. years. So, yeah. so yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. And there was help out there. You're right. I found a co-op. It was very reasonably priced, and every resource that I needed was available at a phone call or just dropping by. And they would be yep. there to help me every step of the way to make sure that all the requirements, all the insidious paperwork was taken care of, everything. And these all, and both of them now are highly successful. So it, it don't you tell me... It. And I've and they say, well, the other argument is, well, if they're not in a public school, they're not going to be socialized correctly. Well, what do you mean right. socialized? You mean in, 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 <laughs> they're they, not going to learn to sit in the back of the school smoking and drinking a little Johnny or or cursing or you know whatever. Mm -hmm. When you say socialization, that's many facets. Absolutely, to socialization. Um, and I was raised in public school, and I I will tell you now, I did not start learning and being truly educated until I started myself in my early 20s. I know. And then I, believe I went it. back to school and got my doctorate ultimately. But, you know, it was not because of what I learned in high school or the public school. It just wasn't. No. And, and, and just to kind of wind this part of the conversation down, then we're going to just change gears in, in just a second. Believe me, the help is out there if you want it. Um, I'm in many places. I would never trust a child in the public schools. I've seen too much of a disaster. I find homeschool kids that are normally at college level by the time they're a sophomore, and they are so far ahead of the game. Their social skills. Hey, it's easy to create a social world around those children and places to go and people to be with. Don't ever let them give you those excuses because they're just flat-out lies. So yeah. let's change gears now. When I was in the last break, I was looking, because we record this program a little bit ahead of time, and I'm looking at the date that this is going to air. And, and I want to just take you back to 1973. 
I was a student at St. John's University in New York, and I was sitting in a classroom in St. John's Hall, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm watching these two marvels of architecture rising toward the sky. And those were the World Trade Centers. You could see them in Queens, all the way over there in Manhattan, rising across the sky. Now, let's go back to the year 2001. And I can speak for myself. I got up that morning. Uh, I was going to help out at a radio station, so I got an early start. So I left about, oh, a little after 8.30. And I'm listening to the news talk station of our cluster. And all of a sudden, we hear about this strange accident in New York City. Looks like a helicopter or some kind of a plane hit one of the World Trade Centers. And that's, that's unusual. And then, of course, everybody listening knows the rest of the story from that point, how the two airliners each struck the two World Trade Center buildings. I've met a lot of people that came through that. I remember watching it then when I got to work on TV and watching, watching the first tower come down and a little later the second. Timothy, you were there, and you spent yeah. some time on Wall Street. And you had left Wall Street, but as I recall, but you returned to work again. Am I, am I right in that? Yes, you are right. Kind of relate that, because I think many people said 19 years ago, and like I say, this is the weekend we remember. We'll never forget, but I think a lot of people already have. They have forgotten, you know, what was at stake. And guess what? It's still at stake. It's still the same war. It's still the same ideology out there. None of that has changed. None of that has gone away. It's just gone dormant for a little while. So share. Yes. would you share your story and... and what you sure. were doing before, then you left, and, and why you came back. I mean, it, it, I, I read yeah. this story, and I was so touched by it, and I want you to share it. Well, I was uh, I worked on Wall Street in 1988, um, was on the trading floor. The New York Stock Exchange was started out as a runner. Um, and I, that, that's kind of where I was not long after high school, believe it or not, not long after I graduated high school. And I worked there until about 93. And it was at that time I had felt such a call to the ministry that I, I left and I ended up start. I had to get my bachelor's degree because mm-hmm. remember I left after high school. Right. So I went and I started my four year bachelor's degree and you know, after I got my bachelor's and after I had started a couple classes for my master's, I had a couple kids during that time. Yeah, and things like that to... have, a, have a bad habit of happening. <laughs> I always say it was the stress. But in any case, what I, I, had, I had a few children. And what I did is I, I realized I needed to make more money. And the jobs that I were, was trying to do part time while going to school just wasn't cutting it. Mm-hmm. So I called some of my friends who I still knew down there and they said, Oh, get back down here. And they, and they asked me to come back. I did. And in 1999, <clears throat> I ended up going back on the trading floor, uh, in the main room of mm-hmm. the New York stock exchange mm-hmm. as assistant trader. And it was there, you know, 
right after that is when these things began to happen, right? So in 2001, typically what I did is I, I took a train um, into the World Trade Center, the PATH train, really. I went to New York well. Penn Station. Know it well. And then I went into the PATH into the World Trade Center. And typically every morning I would walk up to Trinity Church on Broadway. Know exactly where it is. Mm-hmm. Yep, spend a few minutes praying. And then I would walk across the street and go down to Wall Street and go to work. And that morning, I had come out of Trinity Church, and I heard this explosion, this boom. And things started falling around me, like half-burnt phone books and all this stuff. And I I thought, I couldn't see behind me, and I thought, did like a furnace on top of one of the buildings explode or something? Mm -hmm. I didn't know what had happened. And when I saw, went down to Wall Street, I saw the security outside the stock exchange looking very concerned. So I went into the trading floor. I went up to the, the floor and I saw on a big flat screen TV smoke coming out of one of the buildings of the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. So I went in my booth and I put my headset on and I called my wife and I said, you're never going to believe this. You know, it looks like somebody flew, a, somebody said a twin engine jet was flown into the trade center and i thought what was the guy drunk i mean how did you how did you yeah. miss that mm-hmm. how, uh, you know and as i'm telling my wife what happened live on tv i see the second plane fly and hit the other yeah. building mm-hmm. and the trading floor starts shaking a little and i said that was no accident And then you heard, uh, you know, evacuate, evacuate the New York Stock Exchange, evacuate. So I told my wife, I love her. I I don't know. It looks like terrorists. I got to go. I'll call you. And I hung up. I went outside with three of my broker friends. Um, We were standing there and and thinking, what are we going to do? Still have my trading coat on, everything. And one of them said, well, let's go uptown. And yeah, I don't know why, but I said, you know, guys, you see that water down there? I'm going to walk on water today because yeah. I'm getting off of this island. Yep, yep. And I, we went down Water Street, and as we started walking down there, they came with me. They agreed. And as we started going down there, people were coming out of the building saying they just hit the Pentagon. And, you know, you're sitting there yeah. thinking in this surreal environment. Is it, are we in World War Three? You know, where I, you know where I was that day? I was I was in Sarasota, Florida, and our news team was down there at the elementary school with President Bush, and we watched that Air Force One rip out of that city like nothing you've ever seen before. Yeah, you. I, I bet. I didn't know a jet could take off like that. Not in Sar. I mean, it yeah. left almost a sonic boom across that town as it roared out, and God only knows where that. it went. Even when I was out in the water, we saw that. Um, but as we walked down Water Street, uh, I, we were heading down to the pier, and I saw one of the boats down there, and there was a big chain-link fence on the right-hand side, and and this boat on the pier was going, I believe, to Weehawken, <clears throat> and we were all there. People were coming down the street. I have to say, as I, we were walking down Water Street, we saw this giant cloud coming down, so we began to run. And everybody began to run down uh-huh. to the pier. Right. When we got to the pier, people were packed, packed in between this chain link fence trying to get on the ferry. Men crying, women yeah. crying, people screaming, you know, and I'm sitting there with my with my few brokers and we're we're trying to get on there. I, I you know, I'm a New Yorker, right? I looked over on the yeah. other side of the fence and there's a boat. Another yeah. ferry sitting there, nobody's there. 
and I, I start climbing the fence. So I, I climb the fence and I get to the top and I straddle it. Mm-hmm. And I reach down and I start pulling my guys over the fence. All I'm thinking is I got to get them home. We got to yeah. get home. Yeah. We got to get out of here. So I start pulling my guys over the fence. People see me up there. They start climbing the fence. Everybody climbs over the fence and the other boat begins to fill up. So we are on that boat. It fills up. I go over with another broker. We start taking the life preservers out and handing Uh them out to the women on the, on the boat. Uh And we're all quiet once we're on there. Everybody's just like in this shock. And you could see the people standing still on the, on the wharf on the edge. Uh And they're screaming and crying saying, please. And the captain has to come out and say, look, I promise I'll be back 15 minutes. I'm going to drop them off on the other side. I'll be right back. And, you know, he comes back in and we see the dust cloud coming down the street. Oh, yeah. So he pulls away. And as he starts pulling away, we shut the glass doors and he starts pulling away. And you see the cloud cover everybody on the edge of the war. You still Mm -hmm. hear them screaming and crying even louder. But they're covered in dust. And they, and because we hadn't picked up speed, that dust cloud came and finally covered us. And it was eerie to sit in there, totally silent in the boat, yeah. the, the boat covered in this dust. And then we came out of it in the middle of the harbor. And we opened the doors and went out on the, on the boat. And I looked back, and that's when I saw there was only one tower standing. Yeah. And you could still see people. But... As a, you know, just to give you an aside, before all this happened, this was kind of in fast motion, fast forward, my story. But when we came out of the New York Stock Exchange, I first went up to the buildings in order to see if I could help people. And that was there that I saw people jumping. And not only did I see people jumping, but I I was standing in a place where I saw people hit. And that gave me PTSD. And it was something that I will carry with me forever. Um, you know, we're not created to see that stuff. No. So no. we, you know, but then after that, we decided to go down Water Street rather than uptown. Uh, so we're in the middle of the harbor. I see one tower standing. We make it over to, they divert us over to Jersey City. And when we get it, we're getting off the off ramp and everyone starts screaming again. And, you know, your adrenaline jumps every time Mm -hmm. and i turned around and looked across the harbor and i saw the second building come down and my broker friend next to me i heard him whisper the world's changed forever as of today and you know and you're right wow you're right but the thing is what's what i find sad and i i was pastoring a church primarily and doing just some part-time engineering you you hope that the world would change for the better that we would become unified because you're already a divided country we'd already gone through the election of 2000 and all the the backbiting and the nonsense that occurred at at that time and you hope for just one minute and that's about all we got was everybody out there in front of of the capitol building singing god bless america for one time and here we are 19 years later we're worse off now than we were then we're more at each other's throats now we're more divided we have been let's put it this way we have been systematically and intentionally more divided today than we were 20 years ago at the election of 2000 and i think it's totally by design 
absolutely yep. by design. I, I would agree. I would agree. And and you know when it, hopefully maybe maybe another time or next time we can talk about the the technological and the spiritual deception because yes. they go together. But they do. I, it is by design. Um, and you know even even sitting there in Jersey City, it, it was like, what do you do? It looked like you know, all these boats coming you know off of jersey to go over and pick people up over there mm-hmm. um it, it was like dunkirk it was clearly like dunkirk wow. uh unbelievable to see people row boats little teeny boats big boats everybody's personal boat they're all coming over and they were picking people up off of that wharf. Mm. it was unbelievable so we came together to help one another right and <clears throat> You know, there I am in in Jersey City now with a few guys, and we're saying we got to get to Penn Station, Newark Penn Station. How are we getting there? Mm-hmm. So, like a crazy person, because the police are going, cars are going everywhere, everybody's in chaos. I walked out in the middle of the street and held my hand up and stopped the bus, and I went over to the window and said, "Where are you going?" And he said it was someplace else. I stopped three buses. Mm-hmm. The third bus I stopped said they were going to Newark Penn Station. Mm-hmm. And I said, can you give us a ride? He said, yes. <clears throat> so we got on that bus and, you know, you could see everybody on there quiet. I saw people there with their clothes ripped up because they mm-hmm. even were there when all this happened and stuff that came out off of the building and felt, you know, ripped their clothes. Wow. They were bleeding in areas. It was it was unbelievable. And we were on the bus and finally one woman's phone began to work because the cell tower was on the World Trade Center. And she called her family, and then she said, anybody want to use my phone to call their home? Oh, people crying. The phone was being passed around the whole bus. Uh, I got. I waited till I got to Newark. We finally got there. I gave a hug to a couple of the guys I was with. They went on their train, mm-hmm. and then me mm-hmm. and one other guy went on our train. And we're sitting in there. Unbelievable. You know, can't even believe we made it this far. And it took yeah. us really all of this was about five hours it was incredible the way things happened uh even in in when we were in jersey city but i'm sitting there and the conductor runs in he says whoever was at the world trade center when it got hit get off the train right now and get decontaminated yeah i'm sitting there with a trading coat on my my other broker's right across from me i look at him and i say don't you move I said, how much dust is on me? And he said, a little bit. So I shook it off. I took my trading coat off, folded it up, and stuffed it in my bag. And I looked at him. I said, we were not there. Mm. And he said, okay. Well, it turns out they were just dumping water, water bottle, uh, bo- bottles of water on people's heads down, you know, uh-huh. to decontaminate uh-huh. right. them. I said, I'm not getting off of this train. <laughs> I've been, it took me long enough to get here. Yeah. I'm almost home. No way. No. So we pull into the train station near my home, and he drops me off at my house. Uh, but while we were on the train, I called my sister, and I said, what are they saying on the um, on the news she said well they were saying there could be anthrax on the airplane i said well i'm a dead man and i breathed it in i sat right under it mm. i said i'm coming home get get a pair of dad's old clothes for me and, and a garbage bag 
and she did and I went into I wouldn't let anyone hug me and I went into my garage and I took everything off sealed it in a bag yeah. I went upstairs in the shower took a shower I mean I was pulling small micro glass shards out of the corner of my eyes you know I gotta and, I gotta interrupt here I'm looking at the clock and then we're gonna run out of time in a couple of minutes you know something you're gonna have to come back next week to finish the story and okay. I, I hate to make you do it but we have so much to talk about over the next week or two. My guest today has been the Reverend Dr. Timothy Gales. And if you want to find out more, just go to the website, truthtoponder.com. That is truthtoponder.com. And it's actually the number two. It is truththenumber2ponder.com. Truththenumber2ponder.com. I hope this program has been a blessing to you. I hope that you're learning something from this new program. And yes, I will have uh, Dr. T- the Reverend Dr. Timothy Gales back on this coming week. Trust me, we've got to finish this story. There's a lot more you need to hear. I just want to thank you for listening to the program and sharing it with your friends. It means the world to me. And Timothy, I want to thank you for being on the program today. Thank you for, I know it's been hard to share this, but I think you're going to do a lot of people a lot of good. Timothy, you still there? I am, and I pray pray people get some hope from all of this. Amen. And to my friends listening, until, until the next time that we come together here on Truth to Ponder and, of course, your weekend show, may God richly bless you is my prayer. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.